0: This is not restless. Okay, I know you just want to get to the show, but I'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the podcast, where there are three different ways starting at just $3 a month that you can both support this show And at the same time get even more content at least one extra episode a week and often more not to mention the restless telegram channel that you'll have access to 24 7 to interact with all the other patrons if you want more restless in your life this is the way go to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast okay back to the show
1: This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless. This is your post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I'm still here. I'm still your host, Matt Klein. And today, I am drinking some apple cider and joined by Pastor Michael Bowman.
0: Well, that sounds really good. Um, I am not drinking anything because I rushed to get here because we were in the middle of selling selling a pig, and so I probably look pretty grubby. I noticed Matt that I'm wearing a nobody will see this, but <laughs> I'm wearing a kind of grubby black t-shirt, all black t-shirt. You're wearing a uh, white t-shirt, and yep. so we look we've got that good contrast going on. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not actually drinking anything, but we are back that's exciting. I mean, we're so back. back. (laughs) It's been a little while. We actually, even because we had a slight bit of a hiatus um, because of uh, your own work in church planting and what you were doing there. And uh, my family and I were on vacation uh, for the last two weeks. And um, we had a a listener named Micah who reached out to us and he just said uh, that, you know, he's a big fan. He just wanted to check in with us since we haven't posted for a couple of weeks and uh, it very funnily, he said, he said, I mean, the TGC climate change debate episodes were pretty bad, but not bad enough to warrant quitting. <laughs> he said, It's pretty funny. Uh, but then he just said, he'd be praying for us in case anything bad happened, but no Micah and everybody else, we are still here. We were okay. Um, just a busy season uh, for Matt and uh, a not as busy season for me, but a uh, pulling away from some things kind of a season honestly the first real vacation we had in in quite a while so so really pleasant for my family
1: pastor michael does this mean that next monday night we will react to the amillennial post-millennial debate that was 30 minutes long instead of another painful (laughs) was it only 30 minutes yeah yeah oh wow
0: yeah i definitely want to watch it. so i brought this is the the fosky one right keith fosky and doug wilson yeah um. Somebody brought that up to me at church uh, on Sunday in our Sunday school. Somebody said, hey, so do you know this guy that looks like Doug Wilson and was debating him about amillennialism, postmillennialism? And and I was like, Keith Foskey, yeah, he's on the podcast that Matt and I do. I was like, why aren't you listening? <laughs> like, come on. Uh, he's been on before. Um, Anyway, nope. no, I definitely, definitely we should do that on Monday. That sounds great. Next Monday. I don't know
1: what is seven days from today as we record on a Monday, as I reveal some inside podcast like <laughs> ah, the 18th, the 18th, the yeah, 18th. September 18th, September 18th, 8 p.m. Central, a post-millennial pastor and a millennial pastor will review a post-millennial pastor and an amillennial pastor uh, debate, and by the way, from the from the part I watched, really casual, barely a debate. Yeah, but, which of course, yeah, I knew. Yeah, for thirty minutes, yep. you know. But it will give us plenty uh, to, I'm sure, enjoy and talk about. Though it will be uh, put me in an awkward position to be on the side of the Baptist in this circumstance but it will put you on the side of the accused federal visionist. So that is <laughs> perhaps I am in the better. We're, so, we're
0: both bad guys. We're both.
1: <laughs> but today, pastor Michael, we need to do what at one time people loved this show. There was a season of time where people loved this show <laughs> where we discussed the rise and fall of things. <laughs> um, Not this thing, but another thing. Um, And the thing we are discussing the rise and fall of today is the rise and fall of the evangelical elite Um, because friend of the show and now internet controversialist guy, Steven Wolf has written um, an article on the rise and fall of the evangelical elite. And there are a lot of things about the article that I think are very good. Um, I think as like, as far as like a, here's a brief summary of how of, of charting out this people's experience with new Calvinism, the young restless and reform movement, the people that they looked up to and the times where people started jumping off board. I think it is very accurate. Um, I think he's looking back with very specific reasons. Um, and I think that we, it will give us some good stuff to talk to. Um, But yeah, Pastor Michael, do you, let's just start with the most broad question. In general, do you believe that the evangelical elite has fallen? And I'm asking you that, I'm giving you it as broadly to define those words as you desire.
0: Yeah, um, so that's really the question, right? What are we talking about? Like, who Mm -hmm. really is the evangelical elite? So if you follow this article, and you'll link to it, and, and people yes, can go, will. go read it and see it. Honestly, the vast majority of it is almost just a history. Um, it's just <laughs> okay. walking through the history of the young, restless, and reformed, more or less. And um, there's definitely some, you know, it's it's being done from a particular vantage point, but it's mostly just straight line, this happened on this date. Here, you know, here's when Together for the Gospel started. Here's when these things began. Here's when they ended, et cetera. And so um, a lot of it is just the stuff that we've talked about uh, quite a bit already at different times. Yep. But uh, if, you know, so from that vantage point, when he says the evangelical elite, he is talking specifically about the guys that we talk about all the time, right? So he's talking about the guys who were heavily involved in Together for the Gospel, the gospel coalition, these sorts of organizations. Um, and uh, if, if we follow, for instance, another friend of the show, Brad Vermerlin's uh, thesis that, you know, the the young restless reform was basically, uh, you know, the move to take the center of evangelicalism, um, take the leadership in a sense, within evangelicalism, and kind of define the boundaries. And if they were actually um, successful at that, and I think that that's, I think you know we basically think they were pretty successful um, on a popular level. I don't know that it's it was like a you know when it was all said and done that they took it all right. I mean yeah. it's just it's such a broad weird movement within American Christianity that it's just hard to say. Um, but they at least took a, a significant portion of the leadership within broader evangelicalism and uh, in. So insane evangelical elite. It's talking about those guys. Um, it's talking about the people you see on stage at together for the gospel. Um, the the kinds of guys that were heavily involved in the gospel coalition. Um, have they fallen? I think uh, it. I am basically on the fence in this regard. Mm-hmm. I think that they've fallen in the sense that they do not have maybe the the same popularity amongst the young men that maybe they marketed to most originally um the the people like us right people like us who now do reviews of tgc debates to mock them (laughs) right uh and not just to mock them by the way hopefully to be constructive too but um as micah pointed out maybe maybe sometimes it's just not not the best content Uh, but we i mean that's what we do and and we are Honestly, I think we're pretty mild-mannered. I know not everybody thinks that, but I think we're pretty mild-mannered compared to the kind of reaction that like TGC gets when it posts anything uh, right. on, on Twitter or YouTube or, or wherever. Um, but that being said, I still think that um, there are large portions of the evangelical world that are not involved in that at all, right? The people that are not on Twitter, um, they're not they're not following a lot of these up and coming voices um who are more or less just capturing certain audience from these organizations but like just the regular you know suburbanite women that are reading articles on the faith on the gospel coalition um that i, I still think that's a pretty large amount of people and so i don't know so that's what i would say i i don't actually know if they've fallen i do think that that um, especially, and he gets into this in the article, I think post COVID, um, there's a lot of shifting that has gone on. And I don't think that's worked out yet. I don't think it's, I don't think things are settled in that regards. Um, And so I do think that there is a, there's, there's clearly a following out of almost all elites. I mean, just there is a general distrust of any kind of elite in any position, um, including on local levels, by the way, including on like local pastors, you know, like that's, um, that's happening too. And so it's definitely happening happening on in the online and greater evangelical world.
1: Yeah. Here are my two reasons to believe that I think the sign that they've fallen, and these are both based on my own experience. So these are, you know, use that as much or as, li- you know, with as little, much or as little credibility as that brings, right? The first one is, Obviously, one of the main reasons we started this show is because we and many others like us were uh, deeply influenced by these people and then moved on at some point. And people for different reasons, obviously, we have promoted what we think is a healthy reason to embrace the historic Orthodox Christian faith that is found in the Reformed churches, right? Right um there are other people that you know moved on split from various things but there there was this growing dissatisfaction that something wasn't working two and this is maybe what you're getting at why there's you're kind of going back and forth i do think these kinds of people and institutions still do have actually a pretty large role specifically mm-hmm. in online christianity but what i've realized is if you aren't in the, I, right, they were trying to take the center of Christian evangelicalism. I don't think they have that anymore. Now I think what they have the center of is online reformed guy or woman, like, or whatever, um, Christianity. Hmm. Because when I talk to, obviously as a church founder, when I talk to people outside of that, they play zero role. Yep. The controversies that we we celebrate kevin DeYoung young taking on or whatever they don't care about yep right they don't um and they are unlikely to to be interested in in mm. any of these things going on and that's where i think um the fall is and so i think it's they are now back in the reformed guy world and now um now that they are not and we'll cut to this later now that they are not the um Like without question, leaders that they were, there's now a a further openness of questioning them, right? Obviously, some people think we go too far, but I think, you know, you and I try, like, there were people trying this, right? This is why even people kind of in this group, like John MacArthur, questioning Driscoll in 2009 was seen as so negative. That was just insane that someone would would call into question what was happening now two people like you and I who have nothing we can call into question an entire series tgc did in order to inform christians on various positions they could take yeah and there might be people who think we laugh too hard but in general people are like this this is this is good this is helpful to me as i think through these things mm. Um, And I don't think that would have been welcomed at all based on how the kinds of even well-known people who are doing that um, a decade ago were treated.
0: Interesting. Yeah. One of the reasons I said I'm not so sure is because, um, and you kind of touched on it, but because there's still um, outside of the more maybe hardcore conservative reformed online world, um, there's just a lot more people. Like this is we we exist in a very tiny, <laughs> yes. tiny little fraction of the the Christian sphere, um, let alone the the just general populace. And um, what you see right now, we've talked about, is you have this move from people like in, in the Gospel Coalition to broaden uh, and to maybe move more toward um, perhaps. Uh, you know, try to get more involved in some of the Anglican world. Um, I know our friends over at the Presby cast have mentioned that they think they're really going to try to go after the more conservative Methodists, um, and, and target them a little bit more for readership. We know that they've been making some inroads with more of the charismatic world. Um, obviously our, our, uh, you know, good friend who I can, <laughs> um, <laughs> our good friend, Charlie Self, um right. Shout out, Shout out to Charlie um, is Assemblies of God. and he's writing quite a bit bit for them, uh, which, by the way, I've interestingly found out. I maybe mentioned this, but um, according to our stated clerk in the PCA, the only two denominations in the u s. that are continuing to grow right now um, are the PCA and the Assemblies of God. Um those are the only only denominations in the United States that have a net growth over the last um, couple years, I believe. So, um, it's just an interesting, interesting uh, fact. And um, I don't know what the numbers are at at the Assemblies of God, but um, I, my, my assumption is that it's bigger than the PCA. I don't actually know if that's yeah. if that's the case. But anyway, so like, in other words, these groups that yes, we uh, maybe will, you know, th- would say we don't trust them anymore. Um, they're making pretty significant inroads in some ways into other aspects of evangelicalism other elements of evangelicalism that maybe we just don't have the same connection to and we don't and, see as much
1: and that would be actually cuz i doubt that's happening but obviously i don't have the experience to know
0: if they're actually succeeding it yeah. would be
1: fascinating to know if they're succeeding or not
0: yeah um, yeah and i really don't know either that's why right. you know i'm a little bit uh, cagey now, in my answer now
1: what i want to clarify is so i think obviously Stephen wolf's targeting is on the young, restless, and reform leaders, right? He lists Mark Dever, Lincoln Duncan, Albert Moeller, C.J. Mahaney, John MacArthur, John Piper, right? Like, he's, he's listing the young, restless, and reformed. Um, now, I want us to, ha- I want to add a little more of that uh, uh, restless context, because there's one thing I want to be clear, that when you and I use the term Big Eva, we actually don't mean the exact same thing as what he's talking about. Um, And I actually think there's another way to use the term evangelical elite that I want to look into at least for a moment and to decide if that's also kind of gone. Um, And it's got a lot of overlap with what he meant, but it's a little bit different. So Big Eva, and actually, interestingly, both of these terms, Big Eva and evangelical elite were both used by Carl Truman much earlier than anyone else used either of them and he does not use them as the same term no i so i don't know if he if he coined the term evangelical elite he did coin big eva um but however that i'll give it to him i'll give it to him and he uses them differently so let me give his description of big eva and then the cultural uh evangelical elite and pastor michael after i do each one why don't you kind of. Tell me how this is a little different than what uh, Wolf is describing, because I think something people need to know is when we say the evangelical elite are falling, both either YRR or generally, we do not mean Big Eva is falling, because I don't think that's currently the case. No. So Big Eva, this is uh, Carl Truman from a a famous blog post he wrote on this. This is my term for the large network of, of evangelical organizations and conferences that seek to shape the thinking and strategy of American evangelical churches. What Big Eva has done is to create an economy of power, people, and indeed money, which is non-ecclesiastical, but highly influential within evangelical churches. It is a populist movement of tremendous influence and minimal accountability. And because it promises rewards to individuals, organizations, influence, students, and platform, it is very hard to criticize and functionally, functionally unaccountable to anything but itself. So how is that different than this, this group of the evangelical elite who Wolf thinks has fallen, um, at least from where they were before?
0: Yeah, so um, the the number one thing is obviously it's not limited to actually just people, right? So the evangelical elite is it's particular people who hold places of influence and power. Um, within uh, various evangelical spheres in Wolf's article, most particularly within the Young Restless and reform Movement. Like that's the, that is the center. So it's personalities, particularly. Um, whereas when we're talking about Big Eva, it's a lot more than just a handful of personalities. Um, it's all of the, I mean, it is the mega church movement. It is um, the, you know, the uh, seeker sensitive, movement. It's so much tied to that. It's the conference circuits um, that even though, you know, maybe, maybe T4G is no more, it's no longer together, but it's not, that was not the only conference in the world that's going on. That's, you know, building up. Yes. Building up certain personalities. um, But also, uh, and I'd like to hear you talk more about this because you were mentioning something before we started recording that I think is, is just right. It's kind of dead on. Uh, But also when Wolf is talking about the evangelical elite, I think that he's really emphasizing um, the political influence that certain evangelical leaders had um, and and looking at it through that lens, as opposed to um, the the influence that they had, for instance, as a great preacher or an author of many books on different Christian topics. Um, he's coming at it from this this different vantage point
1: yeah that is something we're going to talk about in a second this idea that wolf specific interest and again if you've heard him on our show right we've discussed with him two kingdoms theology and we've discussed his book that now which now
0: now that everybody uh like has very strong opinions about Stephen wolf (laughs) um i'm always in this position of of you know, uh, basically defending him, but not even as like, I'll be in groups of people and people have very strong opinions, sometimes very negative opinions uh, about Stephen Wolf, but he's only ever been like super kind with his time and conversation with us. Right. And we haven't maybe discussed every, every, you know, thing he believes or something, but, but like, he's only ever been like a, just like a nice conversation partner that we met online before he wrote this book, you know, like way, right. way before he got, the, uh, got the first time there. we
1: talked to him, he mentioned, I'm writing this huge book that will be very long. And I don't know how interesting it will be to a broad audience. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh
0: boy. Well, you're done. Okay. lucky as man, as You hit it at the, audience. At the right yeah. moment yeah oh boy yeah and so, so right anyway so. i just i always end up in this position where i'm like oh he's only ever been like a pretty nice guy to me so i'm not going to say anything like negative about him even if i don't agree with everything he says um and then people look at me as though i'm the bad guy <laughs> you are the bad guy I know, Actually, i'm wearing a black t-shirt
1: I'm, this I'm monday guy. a few days ago we released a, a patreon episode discussing if uh, our podcast is unknowingly part of a conspiracy to take down the United States of America, um, and it is somewhat related to this. So you can uh, <laughs> uh, you can go you can subscribe for three bones three dollars a month and join us, um, where we did have content coming out at least even on our hiatus. So, but yeah, Big Eva is this idea of it's the like it's the money machine, it's the it's the yeah it's the production system. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there is the mega church, right. The YRR certainly was a part of it when that was selling the books, creating the conferences. Um, and so it, right. It, you know, obviously at the time when, uh, Carl Truman is writing this, he's writing that the goal is to get on a conference circuit. And then these conferences, there's no one they can hold accountable to. And so he's, he writes about the problems of, Maybe woke things or revoice because these are just totally unaccountable and there's nothing we can really do because there's no church connection to any of this. Now, Carl Truman's definition of the evangelical elite is this idea of these are the institutional leaders in the Christian church. They're the leadership class associated with institutions, um, and in many ways, they are at least in some way related to the cultural elites in the West more. Broadly, um, and so he he makes some comments about it. The Christian elites try to persuade often the secular world that they aren't so bad in terms of their enlightenment conceptions of reasons. Um, they, where possible, sometimes it means they have to lay blame for Christianity's failures to meet their standards on the Christian, on other Christians, and that they. The good Christians, um, these people are beneath them economically and socially. Right now, he's getting into more of the elitism. Um, like Schleiermacher and others, they will sneer at the fundamentalist masses. The class division in American society, where there is the educated people and the low information people. Um, and this is found where it should never be in the body of Christian believers. So this is... this is. Um, this, I think, is a very helpful definition. This is Truman's definition of the evangelical elite. Now, here's my question, Pastor Michael: Has this kind of evangelical elite fallen? Mm. This this elite that is related to the sex secu- the secular um, elite that kind of views itself as above the average Christian.
0: Um, it fallen in the sense that people do not trust them. Just like I said before, and this is true culturally of most elites period um, that fallen in the sense that they do not have the same respect, the same kind of automatic trust anymore um, that they once did. Um, but some of these guys are still very connected um, to those places of governmental power. I mean, you think about this, you know, relationship still, within the, you know, the circles of, you know, Russell Moore, Francis Collins, those sorts of things. I mean, they're, they're still there. They still have connection. I don't know, um, how, if it's, I, I, my doubt, I would doubt that it is, um, you know, more influence than before. My guess is that it is less influence than before. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure that it has actually fallen completely.
1: Now, my, the only reason I think it is interesting. I do think it would exist because institutional leadership will always exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wonder is, at this point, my question is like, is there really any like actual connection or influence they have with the secular elite? Like that would be—I well, don't know—that like, right. would be the actual like answer to this question.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Francis Collins clearly did, right? And I don't know <laughs> if he still does. But he and clearly was like deeply connected um, and, in in a lot of ways. And there was that deep connection between him, Russell Moore, Tim Keller, others. And, uh, and so you at least have that much of a connection. I don't know how and, much influence that is, but it's a connection.
1: And he's the perfect example of why this, everyone hates this. Yep. Because, exactly. <laughs> because this is, again, this is right. This is what Wolf starts to track. He starts to track that what we saw was, people hopping off when people started seeing woke signaling and then certain COVID things. And then by the end, everyone was left. Now what Wolf really tracks as Michael was saying, is the kind of political um, the political landscape that was occurring and that um, he kind of tracks and he gets to this, like really what they did in the culture is that they were using the Um, political world as a place to witness, right? And so that means if we can take cause with people who have racial, um, you know, grievances, can we use that as a place to witness? Can we uh, get faithful presence in other places? Can um, Can we show that the gospel gives us a third way, right? One of the things he says, and this is, again, I think this will bring me to my big, maybe the one of the kind of the slight beefs I have with this article, uh, the a mild critique of it is, he says, under Keller's influence, the YR was not retreatist, but activist, pursuing cultural engagement, true, demonstrating that the Orthodox faith is a key to a coherent, good, and complete life. That, I think, is actually what was happening. And what you will notice, which is not true of the rest of his article, what I just read None of that is actually political. This is what I think the YRR was doing. The YRR was in this postmodern world in these uh, in this place where um, there was a lot of distrust to evangelicalism in general. These men were trying to say, no, Orthodox Christianity is coherent. And so they introduced the reformed intellect from the ages from the ages past. It's good and you need it to complete your life. Yeah. And again, we see that on a popular level. Mark Driscoll's gonna tell you how to be a man and have a family. Right? Tim Keller on this kind of heady, like going to discuss things with the urban people of New York, right? He's gonna make these kinds of cases. Um and you again, you have all these other kinds of things. And and so the YR was very intellectually interested. But what I think As we look back, Stephen Wolf is looking back with a political interest. And I I think, I don't know if he knows this, but his article doesn't reflect this. The YRR was not fundamentally political, nor were any of us interested in politics at the time. That was not a question that was being asked. And so I don't know that the, it was actually an issue of like, our politics went wrong. The like thing, but because what we were, um, around was this gospel centered reform theology not this broad more broad idea there was no interest in it it wasn't part of it and so actually what happened are i think two things as we grew in believing that the faith was part of a coherent good and complete Mm -hmm. life eventually you have to confront the fact that politics is part of that life yeah um
0: Yeah. And this is where he does, um, I I think he's right that he talks about when he was in 2008, he was at T4G and he talks about the differences on the panels that he watched when it came to uh, politics and questions about politics, um, where some were more cultural, you know, kind of into cultural engagement. Some, you know, he points out John Piper's pacifism and um, John MacArthur being there. And obviously he being one who's, who, you know, is pretty skeptical of any kind of of work within the governmental sphere, um, critical of you know, the American Revolution and, and anything like that. So he points out that all of these guys, despite very different views, all sit on the same panel. He points out that this is, is in, in some sense because they were right in the middle of uh, you know, the neutral world as Aaron Wren talks about it. And so they could see those things as kind of indifferent. Um, they, they could disagree about those things and it not really be a big deal because they were not front and center Um, and that actually then you know as we move into a more hostile culture especially a hostility coming from the government right coming from um, the the secular elites with political power all of a sudden those questions of political engagement take on a whole new level of importance
1: right right and i think that the The things that held the gospel coalition and those kinds of movements together, for example, COVID, the woke things, these are the things that showed there was that those things were there was in no way a broad agreement on any of those things. Right. Um, And so I think it's more of something that was overlooked than than wrong, because another thing he points out that the target engagement of TGC and neo-Calvinist apologetics in general has always been urbanites. Mm. Uh, or at least non-rural residents. You talk about the need to minister to rural and working class rights, whites, and I believe he is correct about that, but again, I don't believe it's because they don't like, they necessarily don't like those people. The reason I believe is because, again, when this was at its zenith in 2008, we kind of assumed those areas were pretty reached. Tim Mm. Keller was promoted because Holy cow! How is he doing this in New York City? Yeah, right. The idea that there were lots of churches in small towns wasn't considered a um, a wild thing. Um, I don't know. I need to look this up. What year did the book "Hillbilly Elegy", Elegy come out?
0: Uh, sure, super um, interesting book. If you've not great read it,
1: book. Um, but I think that that book um, by J.D. Vance, the movie. I want the movie. It came out. The book came out in twenty sixteen. And I really think at least oh, for me really? personally was that,
0: was that in 2016
1: the book did yeah and the book I thought it was came, before that it came out right so I'm that's out 8 years after the zenith of the young restless and reform and I think that book and a lot of things around that time frame are really what began to show small town America is deeply broken and needs a missionary encounter so badly mm-hmm. now I agree the things the YRR was doing we're not going to easily translate to any of those places but again they they were formed and wolf and this is another thing and we may come back to this wolf points out how they were forming steam for this thing since the 80s by 2008 by 2016 they're kind of a finished product john piper lives in min- downtown minneapolis and that's what he cares about and that's what forms him hmm. right the Redeemer Church plants in New York City are big and they're going to do their thing, right? The idea that they are now going to begin talking about the issues of Appalachia is would be strange, right? And I just think that there are a lot of the things that have come to the surface are just new, and these men are pretty old now. I mean, uh, Dr. Keller has passed away, right? This is like there is a time this we're a little bit we're a little bit outside of the we are the YRR is gone even if it feels like online it is now Hmm. now Pastor Michael let me explain one thing here's why I think this article may have been written and why there is some we'll call it pain around this article because this article is announcing the positions of influence everybody are up for grabs and um, while I don't think Stephen Wolf is one of them, um I think he's an act more primarily an academic. Um, I think everyone knows there are certain young men or at least younger ministries angling to assume these kinds of positions. Yeah, amongst us. Yeah. And that's what's and 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 that feeling, Means if the guys you don't like so much from the other parts of the YRR or the reformed world or the niche within a niche within a niche, if they get those positions, that puts you in a feeling unhappy position. Hmm. What do you what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I I mean I think you're right. I so um, I you know I do agree. I think Stephen is more of an academic, but he is also very um, Stephen is very in. I believe he's very tactical in almost everything that he writes and the reason sure. he writes the things he does. You may disagree with his tactics, but I think that almost everything he does, he does at for a very particular purpose, right? Yeah. And um, I think that's what he's doing even in his article um, as far as as not just announcing that they're up for grabs, but I do think probably, you know, leaning in one particular direction. Well, so, for oh instance, yeah. you know, if we – Do you want to read the last two pa- – Yeah. Read the last two paragraphs because I think I that that is where –
1: that's his application to what, up until that point, is just the history of the YRR. Yes.
0: Yep. So here, here is the last two paragraphs of the article, if you haven't read it, or even if you're going to read it now. The energy in American evangelicalism is now on the Christian right, who have become emboldened in their efforts to return America to its heritage of faith. They affirm the goodness of Christian nations, an assertive Christian politics, and the predominant heritage of faith in American history. For them, Christian politics is not loser theology, nor meant only to carve out a safe existence for churches. The goal is the complete re-Christianization of civil society, institutions, and government. The moderate wing of YRR, represented by such pastors as Kevin DeYoung, want to reaffirm a center, quote unquote, amid this chaos. But that is pure nostalgia for a neutral world that no longer exists and which will never return. In our age of secularist hostility, you must decide whether Drag Queen Story Hour is a blessing of liberty or a license to be destroyed, whether you want pagan nationalism or Christian nationalism, whether degeneracy or righteousness will prevail, and whether Satan or the Lord Jesus will rule over this land.
1: Shout out to David French. Probably would not be the best interview if you were on our show, but... As far as it goes, Pastor Michael, here is my question: His statement, um, and with how he explains what the Christian right is, do you believe the energy is now with the Christian right in American
0: evangelicalism? I think, at least in part, I mean, I, I think so. I think that there is at least a groundswell right now of support, mm. and I would. What the reason I say that in part is because I see. Now, um, kind of -of run-of-the-mill Christian leaders, um, local pastors, obviously we see it, for instance, in uh, figures like uh, Mark Driscoll, who we talk about a lot, especially in our uh, Patreon, with the kinds of sermons that he's been preaching and what he's been doing, um, the way he's been positioning himself politically. There seems to me uh, a clear move by a lot of men who at least think. That the energy, the support, the movement is all with those on the right. Um, they're not there is not as much um, signaling to those on the left. Whereas, again, you know, if we go back to, for instance, uh, uh, the the late Tim Keller, um, like there was clearly this move to try to position yourself, yes, in a third way, but in a way that would make Christianity sound more appealing to, urban progressives Mm. that does not seem near as common it's not that it doesn't happen it just seems like the there is much more willingness to um kind of uh signal to the right instead
1: yeah now all right so i'm gonna say other than because mark driscoll is such a smooth operator that is the only thing that makes me think the answer might be yes now again (laughs) i grant Stephen Wolf, Mark Driscoll, they're probably both smarter than me.
0: By the way, I see that. So even locally, you know, I can think of there's, um, you know, um, think of one particular church that I would not think of as a like a conservative right wing type church, um, very much in a big Eva kind of mentality. And yet there seems to be a like a an interest in being engaged in certain aspects of the culture war from a right perspective um from the perspective of the right is what i mean by saying that um i know that could be confusing sure. how i said it um, from from the perspective of the right in a way that i would not have expected um say eight years ago um i just yeah. wouldn't have expected it at all and so um, i'm seeing that on just on the ground on a local level uh as well
1: and now pastor michael and i live close to each other um but i do live in a more progressive town so again yeah. so if my local experience is different It's that I just only see this online. Now, what I could believe is that um, we are living in a time where the like hope, the like Tim Keller hope of like, can you communicate across that that is not really an option anymore. And so Mm -hmm. it at least seems like we're more right wing because we've kind of accepted when I preach, if I have to uh, apply something on abortion or things on the family, Half of the country is going to hate me. And there's just no, like, it doesn't matter how I say it. And it doesn't mean I'm going to say it based on my personality as aggressive as I can. I just know no matter what. And so what I might as well do is do it in a way that will actually encourage those who don't hate me. Now, let me make, can I offer one piece of free advice to the people trying to assume these uh, positions of influence, Pastor Michael?
0: Yeah, let's hear it, man.
1: And, and then I have some free advice for our listeners. And then I have a a um, a question that I that I wonder. Um, and I'm probably going to be told, no, it's not possible. So my first one, if you are a person trying to assume one of these positions, let's take a moment and reflect on the fact that at the beginning of Stephen Wolf's article, he said, they started working towards this in the 1980s. So I think it is going to look. Uh, I think people are going to react pretty badly if you, with an online following, even if it's rather large, say, "I'm I'm the captain now," right? Like you at uh, third in your 30s, you with a pretty young ministry. Again, from the night, let's say 1988 to 2008 right? That was 20 years of development of Mm -hmm. the YRR, of the groundwork, of the relationship building, of the writing, of the thinking, of the praying, of the actual fruitful ministry. And probably if there are older Christians around you that find you obnoxious, it's because you haven't built that kind of credibility or those institutions yeah. yet like these men did.
0: Are and you so, saying, Matt, that the restless podcast, given that we are how long have we been going? Three years, two and a half. About years? Three, yeah, uh, almost. Are you three. saying that we are not the we new are not in the evangelical room. elite?
1: No, we are we are hoping to be in the running for the car talk radio of <laughs> of, of whatever the new whatever the new thing is, where you stop by for this. Um that's my free advice to them. Yeah. My free advice to everyone else who cares about who's realized this um this Christian life that makes you complete, that is coherent, that is a good life, it's time to admit it does include the political life. And there are orthodox Christian positions on po- the political life and they are found, for example, in the reformed confessions yeah and that that's okay but um they are not included necessarily in a specific political current political cause yeah. um because again it, those things could divide us and in fact christians have at times reflected on what does it mean that i might be in a war where i might kill another christian over a political cause right yeah. but that again I'm not convinced, even if there's energy for this, like if if those of us bookish reform guys, because that's who we are, we're part of the bookish reform guy crowd. You know what we could do if there really is energy on the political in the in the right? We could say, hey, here are the orthodox positions we should rally around and let people go do their thing and just keep Mm -hmm. holding to that and make that a feature. That would be my my free advice to the kinds of people who listen to our podcast. What do you think about that free advice?
0: yeah, I love it. I really do. And part of it is, I love it, I you know, I, it's not uncommon for people to ask me like my thoughts on politics and what Christians should be doing in the political world. And one of my answers is I have a lot of opinions. We talk about it here. We've talked about it during the TGC debates. Um, yep. I, I mean, I have plenty of opinions and thoughts. but ultimately, when it comes down to it, my role in the world, is as a pastor and to like administer the sacraments and preach the word. And so I want to be at work discipling the kinds of people that are going to have to be in those positions, those, those specific political positions of influence. Um, But there's this kind of desire right now, I think, for pastors to be everything both from pastors and from congregants. Right. And part of that is understandable because we just, we're looking for leadership. We're looking for leaders. Um, and I want to be the kind of man that people look to for those kinds of answers, right? I want to be the kind of man who is so stable and has such a solid home life and um, and has clearly taken on responsibility and sought to glorify God in it, that people do come to me for help. People do come to me um, because they want me to, in some sense, influence them. But part of my role then as a pastor, I think, is going to have to be... Um, I can't answer all of these questions for you. Mm. I have opinions, but we can't like, I I am just not, it is not my sphere to be doing a lot of that kind of work. And if, if I focus on that, I just can't do what I have been called to do well. Mm. And um, so anyway, I I do think that one thing that you could do if you're in that position, or even just in the position of a Christian, who's like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to be in leadership. In these places, but I know people maybe who are or who are interested in it. Um, you do have the opportunity to point them to uh, what our historic confessions say about the role of the deacon of God.
1: That's right. Now, now here's my final question, Pastor Michael. Can there be a future? Because again, right, what these people who are assuming the cultural elite are doing like trying to assume these positions is the future of what we're going to be doing in the church, um, is going to look a lot the same. There'll be conferences, there'll be names, there'll be people we all listen to. And so the best thing to do is get, you know, we're playing, um, what we're playing musical chairs. So get in a chair while they're still open, um, or find your tribe or whatever you want to say. Is there a future can I can I imagine a future where there isn't an evangelical elite where what we primarily have are potent local forces where pastors wow. produce whatever the pat like fueled by their own personal ministry they are putting out and creating things that would actually be useful to their congregation and thus, That probably will have wider use, but it's focused on the specific questions Mm -hmm. you might be asking, right? Maybe your people do have specific questions. I'm answering specific questions on the Trinity, right? There are all these different opportunities we have, but is there a possibility where it becomes, I don't know what the right word is, decentralized and not that, because again, the problem is what happens a lot of these things is pastors in the work of pastoring Um, eventually kind of get comfortable answering, giving Pat answers. Mm -hmm. And so then what happens is people go, well, I'm kind of, I'm going to go find someone who will give me an answer that goes beyond this. But if that, if there, if this high, right, like, you know, Truman in his article on the evangelical elites talks about how bad elitism is and how bad it is to be lazy about the scholarship and work That actually we should care about that Mm. often characterizes the elite and my question is is there a future is there a possible future where we don't have an elite like that anymore where what we actually have are um decentralized uh of, of local things and this is probably a weird where place to end it because it's a yeah. pure bot experiment. It is, and I assume it, my the answer is no, and that's okay if it is. Um,
0: yeah, I don't know how I could possibly know that, um, but let me just—that has never stopped me before, and so let me uh, take a little stab. I, I don't, I don't know, but I can hope that at least there is a shift. I think that probably in a a super connected world with with the kinds of social media and things that we have with things like YouTube and podcasting and all of this, there's always going to be a certain kind of an elite that has a broader influence. Um, But my hope is that basically what happens is that we realign to having a kind of elite that rises according to how God typically desires for men to arise into places of influence and and authority, which is not um, just by um, some kind of sophistry and getting a large kind of democratic audience. Like we just, you know, democratic in that, not, not in the necessarily just purely political term, but meaning just like you're just getting a wide amount of people that are interested in listening to you, which is what propels you up into into uh, some kind of influence and fame. My hope is that um, basically what you're saying would be at least partially true, and what would happen is that uh, over time, men who show themselves faithful on a local level uh, in their homes, right, with their children, um, that they be the kinds of people that are slowly um, allowed to become the kind of elite that we really need. Because I don't think you can get away from the elite. I do think that it it is inevitable um, to have a kind of elite, um, almost a kind of aristocracy. Um, But I I want those to be actually good men, right? Men who are actually faithful. Um, That is what I would desire. I don't know if we will get that, at least not apart from massive repentance, um, but I hope even if we won't get that on a broader level, each of us would take that and say, okay, I want to be the kind of person that God has called me to be. I mean, I want to gain influence and authority as he uh, has has set up the world to most, you know, most naturally work, which is slowly and carefully as you are faithful in your given context and given sphere.
1: Amen. Pastor your people. Be faithful with little. Serve Christ, everybody. Pastor Michael, we're so back. This has we're been so the back. Restless we're... Podcast.
0: <laughs> we're so we're... back.
1: The the Restless Podcast broadcasting here from the ashes of the young restless and reformed. <laughs> uh, happily. So rate and review this show. Join us next Monday, 8 p.m., the 18th of September, when we will review a debate on postmillennialism and amillennialism. And eschatology was just the friends we made along the way, everybody.